0: everyone, welcome to this week's ASF Weekly Science Podcast, where today we're going to go over the very important task of discerning the difference between the words comorbid and co-occurring. No, I'm kidding. It's not actually really important, but it kind of is if you think about the importance of these conditions, where they came from, and how they impact the lives of people on the spectrum. Now, I'll be using the terms interchangeably, except for when it's more scientifically appropriate to use the word comorbid. Then I'll use the word comorbid. What do I mean by scientifically appropriate? Well, here are some definitions. A co-occurring disorder is any illness that occurs at the same time as autism. For example, it can be someone who has autism and the flu. It can be possibly autism and anxiety, or it can be autism and cancer. It may be, it doesn't have to be, it might be comorbid. On the other hand, a comorbid disorder refers to a chronic, physical, neurological, or psychiatric condition that is also present at the time of an autism diagnosis. They may underline the foundation of both the comorbid disorder and the autism diagnosis. So why is this important? Not just for better understanding, but for better supports and interventions. I'm gonna throw out an example I just learned about. So there's a genetic syndrome associated with autism called Phelan McDermott syndrome. It is a disorder where there are different mutations of the shank 3 gene. There are all sorts of mutations causing different phenotypes, but that's a different story. However, people with Phelan McDermott also tend to have intellectual disability, seizures, and neurodevelopmental disorders. So we know that the gene is expressed in the brain. But it's pleiotropic, which means it's also expressed in other body regions. You might expect that. If it's expressed, it's expressed. People with Phelan-McDermid syndrome also have intense GI problems, constipation, but other stuff. They end up on feeding tubes or in the hospital because they're just not pooping. This is incredibly painful and debilitating. It turns out that the shank three gene is expressed in the intestines and it controls motility, which means how food moves down the digestive tract. So are GI issues comorbid or co-occurring with Fallon McDermid syndrome? They are comorbid. My daughter has an autism and a type one diabetes diagnosis. Are these two things comorbid or co-occurring? Well, I wish I knew. There seems to be an underlying causality because people with autism have more frequent inflammatory and immune conditions like diabetes of all types and even things like rheumatoid arthritis. I'm not a thousand percent sure it's comorbid, but it probably is. The way diabetes works is sometimes the gene is there, which causes the production of an antibody, which attacks the pancreas. And the onset of the type one diabetes happens when the pancreas just can't compensate anymore from all the attacks by the antibodies so let's say that there's strong enough evidence to say it's comorbid it was present at the time of the autism diagnosis it just didn't manifest itself until after she was diagnosed now my friend denise's daughter has autism and she happened to fall and broke her arm is this comorbid or co-occurring we can say it's co-occurring most likely the point I have, and I do have one, is that you can learn a lot about a condition, how it's diagnosed, and what people experience by understanding both these comorbid and co-occurring conditions. For this week in JAMA, researchers from the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai use SPARK. You all must know what it is, but if not, go to sparkforautism.org to look at whether these things were comorbid or co-occurring and to determine where they came from. Was it a shared genetics? Was it environment? Was it both? Were they in fact co-occurring or comorbid? So the way they did that is they collected medical information from 40,000 people, actually kids with autism, and 11,000 siblings who did not have an autism diagnosis. So they had 50% shared genetics, but possibly different pre- and postnatal environmental factors. In both groups, medical data was linked to SPARC and the autism diagnosis. The first thing they found is that children with autism had higher rates of comorbid or co-occurring conditions like ADHD, intellectual disability, learning disability, social anxiety, motor delay, Tourette's syndrome, obesity and depression among others. And this was compared to their siblings without autism. Now you probably knew this little fact. We have reported it previously. Maybe some of the conditions aren't always reported in every study that I've talked about, but let's go ahead and say these co-occurring conditions are more prevalent in people with autism. So the clue number one about whether it's comorbid or co-occurring is that there are higher rates of these conditions in people with autism than there are without autism. I'll also say the burden of these comorbidities was higher. There was a higher rate of having more than five of these conditions in those with ASD compared to those without ASD. The second thing they did was look at pre and postnatal factors or pre and postnatal exposures so to speak. These things included things like intraventricular hemorrhage at birth or prenatal intraventricular hemorrhage, lead poisoning, fetal alcohol syndrome, brain infection, traumatic brain injury, hypoxia at birth and prematurity. Children with autism had higher rates than their siblings without autism in these pre and postnatal factors. As a group, autistic kids had a higher rate of these conditions than those without a diagnosis. And then also when you compared them, the number one factor of of these pre and postnatal factors was prematurity. So clue number two, is it it comorbid or co-occurring? It starts at birth or before birth or at or before the time of an autism diagnosis. Then they looked at the relationship between these prenatal or postnatal exposures and an autism diagnosis. These exposures were higher with comorbidities, not lower. In other words, more exposures or more factors, the more likelihood of a comorbid diagnosis or a co-occurring diagnosis. This was especially true in those with autism. So clue number three, these things don't just travel together, one is related to the other. Some associations in the study were stronger than others. Among the strongest association of these factors and co-occurring or comorbid conditions were hoarding and traumatic brain injury, conduct disorder and infection in pregnancy, and obesity and lead poisoning. These were just a few, there are more. The article is actually open access and I'm putting the link on the podcast summary, so please download it. So those relationships between these comorbidities and those pre and postnatal factors were stronger in autism. And the exposures did occur in people without autism and so did the comorbidities. So this is not deterministic. Therefore, rates of certain comorbidities may be attributable to the higher rates and underlying risk factors like their genetic variants or pre and postnatal factors rather than the downstream effects of autism itself. Clue number three for comorbidity or co-occurring, it's upstream of the autism diagnosis, not downstream. So in some cases they are comorbid, some they are co-occurring. The ones that were listed in this article seem to be comorbid, not co-occurring. But who cares about terminology? Well, if you have autism, you're certainly affected by these other conditions. Clinicians and healthcare providers need to do a better job at monitoring and screening for these comorbid conditions and also these pre- and postnatal factors, which may in fact trigger the question about whether or not there might be a comorbid condition. It doesn't mean that that's a yes or no thing. If you have a pre- or postnatal factor or you have autism, you're going to have a comorbidity. You probably do if you have autism but it's not deterministic. It's not a rule in and rule out mandate. It's just a warning sign. These comorbidities may also add to clues about the heterogeneity of autism. This week in autism research, Einat Weisbard-Bartoff and her colleagues discussed how comorbidities and co-occurring conditions may influence the heterogeneity of autism. They point to two extremes across the spectrum. Those who are classified as profound and those who identify as more neurodiverse. So those that are profound are minimally verbal or have an intellectual disability and really require ongoing, full-time, 24-hour supervision or support. Now, this is compared to those that identify as more neurodiverse. They live independent lives or somewhat independent lives. Many of them have college educations, and yes, they struggle, but in different ways. These are two extremes. Now, there may be some overlap, but in reality, who gets ignored is the ones in the middle. These are the people that may not fit into either grouping, but have a diagnosis and struggle for different reasons. They're all lumped together. They don't have a subcategory. And many times they don't get the services and supports that they need. They don't necessarily identify with profound or neurodiverse, but they would also argue that they, don't ha- that they do in fact have an impaired quality of life. What about them? Now, most individuals are probably in between. They encompass many dimensions for both clinical characteristics and research purposes. Can we subgroup them for more individualized supports and better understanding of the struggles people with autism experience, especially why they don't have the same quality of life as those without a diagnosis? The author suggests that perhaps the comorbid or co-occurring conditions, either physical or psychiatric or psychological, like anxiety, could classify autism the way that it classifies intellectual disability. They can describe functioning levels, operationalize support needs, and define health status. Those last two sentences are not from from me, it's from the authors. So clearly this is beyond just a semantic discussion of comorbid versus co-occurring. If we can get a handle on intelligence, context, health, psychological comorbidities, and participation in social activities, Maybe we can do a better job understanding why some people with autism are resilient and some suffer. Because in some cases, but not all cases, people with autism are suffering. Now, thanks for listening this week. This obviously won't be the last time you hear anything coming from me about co-occurring or comorbid conditions, but it might give you an explanation between the differences. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.